Thank you for joining us for this episode of the IPI Policy Basics Podcast. We're coming to you today from the studios of Salem Media Group in Dallas, Texas. I'm Tom Giovanetti, the president of the Institute for Policy Innovation, and I'm joined again today by our resident scholar, Dr. Merrill Matthews. And today, Dr. Matthews, we want to talk a little bit about what's wrong with Social Security and how can we fix it. And in fact, there is a lot wrong with Social Security. Mm -hmm. Social Security has a big problem, and that is the Social Security is running out of money. Um, and we're going to talk about some of the reasons for that. But one of the problems, one of the basic problems with the Social Security system is just sort of the demographics of the system. And when Social Security was first created in 1940, there were 160 workers paying into the system for every one beneficiary. Now, of course, at the beginning of the program, there weren't that many beneficiaries, so you would expect that. But today, it's about 2.5 workers for every beneficiary. And in 2034, which is a magic year, as we're going to discuss in a moment for Social Security, that ratio will be down to 2.2 workers paying in for every beneficiary taking out. And so you can see that there's a sort of a structural problem with not enough people paying in and too many people depending on the system for their retirement. And, you know, I think this was something of, of a surprise to people. You know, when the, you pass the when they passed Social Security back in 1935, the idea was going to be that the the country would continue growing and you would have more uh, you would have more workers there. And so they didn't I don't think they really anticipated this kind of change that sure. we see today. Um, so it, it made a certain, it, I don't want to say it made sense, but it wasn't terribly unreasonable at that time, but because of expanded lifespans mm -hmm. and because of the baby boomers, yep. more people retiring and so forth, it's just become unsustainable demographically. Yeah. I, I, I was going to point out that, I mean, you did have this thing called the baby boom, right? <laughs> and all of those boomers are starting to retire right now. And so that's part of why there's so many more beneficiaries. And then, as you mentioned, we're living a lot longer than we used to live. And so there, people are taking out, I don't know what the, what the expected actuarial calculations were in 1940, but people are living a lot longer. They're expecting a lot more in their golden years than they used to. And so there's a lot of drain on the system. And it's not just the U.S. Other countries are experiencing something similar mm -hmm. as their populations begin to age and the birth rate begins to decline, especially uh, larger economies, the birth rate tends to decline some. Yep. You don't have 10, 12, and 15 children per family. That's right. One of the other things that's happened over time is that the benefits formula has become more and more generous. Mm -hmm. The idea, again, when Social Security was first designed, the idea was it's to keep people out of poverty when they retired. Uh, but the benefits formula over time is, has increased. And, and you know, for folks out there listening who are, who are recipients of Social Security now, uh, it, it may chap you to hear me say the benefits formula has increased because a lot of times Social Security recipients feel like they're getting a raw deal on like cost of living increases and things like that. But over the life of the program, the benefits formula has sort of been juiced several times to make it uh, more and more money going out and less money coming in. And they've taken a number of steps to try to help sustain the program. Mm -hmm. I mean, you now pay taxes. If you're taking Social Security benefits and you are still working, you're going to pay taxes on, if, if you make, mm -hmm. it's a very low threshold, but you'll start paying taxes on part of your Social Security benefits, even though that was a tax to begin with. Exactly. So 
broadly speaking, that's sort of a description of Social Security's problem. But Social Security doesn't just have a have a structural problem. Social Security has an immediate problem. Mm -hmm. And the immediate problem, as we just found out about two weeks ago from the time of this recording, the latest Social Security trustees report says that the trust fund is going to be fully depleted in 2034. Now, 2034 sounds like a year from science fiction, but it's 2021 right now. So what that means is that 13 years from now, the Social Security trust fund is going to be fully depleted. So let's take a second to talk about what the trust fund is. So sure. people who are working will pay their payroll taxes. They they pay uh, 6.2%, I believe, uh, for Social Security and Medicare, and the employer pays the other 6.2%. Right. Actually, that's just for Social Security. Yep. The employer matches that. So that 12.4% goes into a uh, an account that they call a trust fund, and then that's supposed to be, that's where the money sits. And in most years, more money comes in from our payroll taxes than the government pays out. Right. And so that trust fund builds up. But so you so you do have a trust fund there. But the government goes in and borrows that money right. and writes what it writes itself an IOU. They're called specials because you can't actually take these IOUs out and trade them or anything on the mm -hmm. market. So it writes an IOU and then it borrows that money and it uses that money to in essence, make it looks like the de the budget deficit for the government, not Social Security, but for the government, actually looks a little less. Right. So the government has borrowed. There's something like two point seven trillion dollars in the uh, in the trust fund, supposed to be roughly there, but the government has borrowed all that. So the only way the government can pay out that money is it has to go and take it from other taxpayers. Put it in and then take it out and pay beneficiaries. And, and you and I over the years have been criticized by people for saying this, mm -hmm. for saying things like there is no trust fund. OK, and you know, what you've just described is an accounting system, right? I mean, there, there's a ledger. There's a there's a way that it's being accounted for within the overall federal government. But there's not an account with a bunch of money sitting in it, invested or earning interest. Right that's paying social security beneficiaries. There's essentially just an accounting IOU where the government says, yes, we're on the hook for this. Right? So even the idea that there's a 2.7 or $2.9 trillion trust fund sitting there is not correct because there's no money in it. But what we're literally describing is even that accounting system will be fully depleted. So there won't even be any, IOU money in there by 2034, by only 13 years from now. And I'm pretty sure that several years ago, uh, we passed the threshold where the, the Social Security Trust Fund was paying out more than it was taking in. So it's being depleted as we speak. It'll be fully depleted by 2034. And it varies in a really good economy where people are paying, a lot of people are working and you're paying in. Right. It tends to make the, the trust fund look a little better for mm -hmm. that particular year. But in a, a, a recession or in a pandemic, right. it tends to make it look worse. I mean, one of the really great things about economic growth is that it helps to delay the, you know, the date that the Social Security Trust Fund goes under. E even, even a growing, robust economy doesn't solve the structural problem, but it does at least help to push off the date a few years for when the trust fund is depleted. And when we deplete that trust fund, what the Social Security trustees typically say is they'll only be able to pay, the usual figure they use is about 75 cents on the dollar. Right. So if you're a retiree getting, I'll pick a figure, $2,000 a month from a Social Security right now, if this were to go into effect today, you might be down to $1,500. Yep. 
the, the, the statistics that I have seen suggest that when the trust fund is depleted, there will be somewhere between a 21 and a 25% reduction in benefits automatically. So, you know, somewhere between one fourth to one fifth of the benefits you are expecting to get, you won't be getting. And let me just say, cause you know, we, you pointed out that we have critics when we point out there's no money in the trust fund. Mm-hmm. When you do that, typically people on the left will always come up and say the federal government has never defaulted on its obligation. So you don't even say that because that money is really there. Well, no, no the money's not there. There's no money there. There's, right. there's, there's a difference between the government has never defaulted on its obligations and there being money there. This is not like money that you take and put in a bank account and the bank lends it out. But you, those are hard assets that the money that the bank can call in and give you if you need your money. And since you, um, since you described this issue of the government standing behind its commitment, we should, we should make a point that recipients of social security do not have a true entitlement to their scheduled benefits. Right. They don't. You have, you have literally no claim. You know, every couple of years you may get a report from social security saying, here's how much you should expect to get when you retire or whatever. That's a projection. But if they have to come along and cut that by 25%, they can do that. The and you, you have no appeal. You, you have no uh, property right in that money. You, they're, they're not making a commitment to you to pay you that amount that is projected. The U.S. Supreme Court has ruled that you do not have a private property right in that. Yep. You, Congress can, can and, and you wouldn't expect it because it would be very bad for people running for re-election, but right. Congress could el- eliminate it. It could uh, do whatever it wants to with that because you don't have a private property right to those funds. That's exactly right. So we've been talking about the Social Security problem sort of from the perspective of Social Security, that the Social Security program has an immediate and significant problem. But I'm afraid too often people don't talk about the fact that Social Security recipients also have a problem with the program, and that is that it's a lousy program. I mean, the Social Security system essentially puts a gun to your head and says you have to contribute into it. As you reminded us earlier, um, your employer also pays in the same amount that you do. So you may think you're paying in six or seven percent, but you're really paying in fourteen or fifteen percent of your of your earnings into the system that you're forced by law to pay into the system. And tragically, the average rate of return on Social Security is two percent or less. In fact, for a two income medium income family the projected rate of return from social security is 1.25%. And that's if you actually live long enough to take it. That's exactly because right. if you social security is not at, at current, it used to be at 65. You mm-hmm. would, you could take full retirement. Now it's moving up. It's into the 66 range and it's moving up to 67. But if you are 64 and you have worked for 45 years and you've never, and you've paid into social security every year, but you die at age 64, you get a $255 death benefit. Right. Now, if you have a surviving spouse and the spouse it never actually works, so the spouse is is able to ride on your benefits, then the spouse gets the benefits. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you are a younger person, let's say you're 30 or 35, you may have uh, some uh, survivorship for kids who are under 18. So there's some of that going on. But right. Social Security is not a retirement plan. It is a social welfare program. Exactly. And so if you die at a certain age, and you have not drawn on your Social Security, you could put pay in 45 years and never get a dime from it. Let, let's let's camp out there for a second, because I think we, ne- we need to explain to folks that this is a very real scenario, that there are people out there who 
in some cases, maybe even make an above average income. So they're paying 14, 15% of an above average income their entire working life. And if they somehow die of, I don't know, COVID at mm-hmm. age 62 or something like that, they may have paid in 450000 maybe $500,000 over the course of their working life into the Social Security system and get nothing out of it. Get nothing. And it's, it's even worse because uh, when you look at the lifespan tables, and we used to point this out some years ago, I'm not sure what the average lifespan of a, of a black person is today, right. but it used to be about 64.5 years yep. was the average lifespan. And at that point, you couldn't get Social Security for full benefits until age 65. Yeah. And so you could, as a black person, if you live that average lifespan, you would never be able to go into Social Security. Yeah. It is it is well recognized, and even the Social Security Administration acknowledges this, that Social Security is a particularly bad deal for black men because they do have shorter lifespans. Mm-hmm. And so there is if, if you are a if you are a black male in the United States, you have a surprisingly good chance of experiencing the scenario we just described where you're forced to pay into this system your entire working life and you end up getting nothing out of it. So social security has a structural problem that concerns the trustees of the system, but social security is also a lousy deal for those of us who have paid into it. And most of the solutions to the social security problem all involve making it an even lousier deal for recipients. And this is something that, you know, when I'm, when I'm giving a public talk on this, this is where I start pounding on the, on the podium because there's not enough attention given to this, that social security is a lousy deal now for people who pay into it. And all of this, all of your solutions out there for fixing the problem, make it a lousier deal, reducing benefits, raising taxes, means testing, all of those things that people talk about. All those things really do is tinker at the margins. All they really do is sort of kick the can down the road a few more years. But in the meantime, their solution is to make Social Security an even lousier deal for those of us who are legally required to pay into it. In fact, Social Security, and I wrote about this some years ago, Social Security is essentially, if you if you look at the federal definition of a Ponzi scheme, mm. it looks exactly like Social Security, yeah. where people pay in a bunch of money at the beginning, but those who come in later end up getting less or nothing. And that's kind of what you're talking about when yeah. you talk about the Social Security uh, trustees when they're looking at this saying, you know, in, in another decade or so, you're going to get less. And at some point you may get nothing, even though you paid it all in. I think it's a valid point. I mean, it may be a little hyperbolic, but think about Bernie Madoff's Ponzi mm-hmm. scheme, right? I mean, you know, if you were investing with Bernie Madoff, you would get a statement every month with numbers on it telling you how much money you had and all this kind of stuff. But it turned out he was not investing your money. And the Social Security system does not invest your money either. The Social Security system takes it out. They make accounting entries. They send you every couple of years, they send you a report telling you how much money you're going to get out of Social Security. But there is no money invested anywhere earning compound interest or invested in stocks or bonds or anything like that in your name that's designed to fund your retirement. They will actually say that they get interest. And when they put it in the trust fund and they borrow that money, they pay interest on it. But but again, there's no money in the trust fund. Right. And the federal government has no, no ability to pay back the principal plus the interest unless it takes it from somebody else. That's exactly right. So I, th- I think a point that we really need to emphasize is that the social security system is making promises that it cannot fulfill. So what do we do? It's making promises to people 
that it cannot fulfill. It knows it's running out of money and it has, there is no plan on the table for meeting those commitments that the system makes to us. Give me a solution. Well, we're going to. In fact, in fact, uh, you and I have been deeply involved for much of our careers in talking about the solutions to this. Uh, but the transition to that conversation, I think, is this, that the fundamental problem with Social Security is that the money is not invested. It's not exposed to market returns. It's not, it's not put in CDs. It's not put in money market funds. It's not put in stock or bond funds. It's not invested. It's not exposed to market rates of return. And let's just say, I think from our standpoint, even if the money was going into the trust fund, we would not want the federal government investing that in various places right? because they would end up misinvesting, malinvesting that. There was a time when Bill Clinton wanted, as governor of Arkansas, he wanted to take the money that was coming into the state pension fund and use that to invest in low-income housing. Yeah. thinking he would get money back from that. But then, of course, I think they stopped that, if I remember correctly. But it was a way to sort of say, we're going to be able to build low-income housing and we're going to pay a good interest rate on that. And it was not going to get that kind yeah. of investment. That, no, that's, that's exactly right. So we would not want the government doing the investing. But the core problem is that these payroll taxes that you're paying into the system are not being invested. They're not being exposed to market rates of return. Uh, but what's interesting about this, of course, is that we know that markets over time are the place to have money. We know that markets over time are safe. We know that there are historical rates of return around six, six and a half percent, something like that for money that is invested. We do this all the time in the private pension world. We do this all the time, to- all the time with IRAs and 401ks. You can expose money over time safely to market rates of returns and it grows and you can fund a reasonable retirement by doing that. And somehow the Social Security Administration manages to take, again, 14% of our earnings and not do what we just described. So the the solution to this is to move Social Security to a system where at least some of this money that you're being forced to pay in is being exposed to market rates of return. And you have done a lot of work on one example, and that is these three counties in Texas Mm -hmm. that years ago opted out of the Social Security system. They were going to do Social Security reform under Alan Greenspan back in 1981, 82, 83. And so they came up with their solution in 83. But in 81, 82, uh, government workers, if you're in a county, local, uh, city, municipal workers, fire, school teachers and so forth, state people, they could op- they could stay out of Social Security, and three counties in Texas did. But not 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 at an individual couldn't elect to stay out of Social Security. Right. But the the, the county, employer, the county, the, the government, the county, state right. government could. Okay. And so they um uh, they decided to go to a private system where they were going to take the money that would be paid into Social Security, <clears throat> they would set it aside, and they would bid it out to financial institutions that would give them, they would give them a a a floor a threshold and it at, i haven't looked this in a few years but it was never going to be under three and three point seven five percent but if the market went up higher they would get more they wouldn't get if the market went up 25 percent, they wouldn't get that much that year right. but they would get more if the market went up but they never got below a certain amount right and so they went they've went since uh oh for nearly what 40 years now and mm-hmm. they never lost a dime in that so these are these are if you if you work, I guess it's one of the counties is, is Galveston, Galveston, Brazoria, and Matagorda. Okay, so if you work for one of those three counties as a as a county employee, 
all of the money that most of us out there have to pay into social security is actually going into a private retirement system. Right. And the county contracts with financial firms and the financial firms essentially guarantee them like a rate of return or at least a minimum rate of return. Right? And and they did a few other things because social security has a survivor's benefit. If you die with some young children, mm-hmm. uh, social security comes in. So they bought a life insurance policy that paid you, I think either three or four times your salary up to one hundred and fifty or two hundred thousand dollars. I mean, it was, mm. it was a big amount. Yeah. And so people got uh, if if you, that's a whole lot bigger death benefit than two hundred fifty five dollars. Yes, it was. <laughs> it, it, and and that's a life that's a benefit that goes on. I yeah. mean, so you get uh, you get a huge amount there. They also had a disabled person benefit in there, an insurance policy that would if you become disabled because Social Security, if you become disabled, you can take Social Security for a while. Mm-hmm. This this disability benefit stepped in. That was an insurance policy. Mm-hmm. They also had an insurance policy in there that paid for your that while you were not working, it paid your premiums to this thing, mm-hmm. this benefit. So you got both your disability benefit, but you managed to continue making your payments to the plan. Yeah. So it did a number of things like that. And uh, so if you're one of these privileged workers, uh, you're not putting any more of your money into these things than a worker outside that system is, but you're getting significantly better benefits. Right. Typically their, their calculations were that you would get about twice the benefits that you got from social security overall. Mm. Now, because social security is, is structured such that if you are lower income, you get disproportionately more benefits. If you're high income, you get disproportionately less Mm. benefits. You'd still get more, but less proportionally. So uh, this ends up because it's your money, it ends up benefiting medium and higher income workers a little more, but even those who are lower income got significantly more than they would get from sure. social security. I mean, the, the, the more you pay into social security, the worse deal it is for you, the worse rate of return you get. Right. And these were all County employees and they had, they were unions. So yeah, right. many of them, so that you ended up having, I mean, they were not low income employees, yeah. but they ended up making significantly more. So one tip for folks out there is you might want to hightail it to these three counties in South Texas and get a job working for the County because you have a su- far superior retirement option if you happen to work for these three counties than really any other worker in the in, a, in the United States. But, of course, Congress slammed the door on that, didn't they? So, well, they, not for counties. So if you were outside of Social Security in many states, we're in Texas, so state te- teachers in Texas are part of a something that is, that is different, a retirement plan that is not Social Security. Mm. So if you're not in Social Security as a government employee, then you don't have to, you could still change to go to something like this. And I think yeah. there was something like uh, 6 million government, state and local government employees who had that option. And some, uh, uh, Utah, some years ago, decided to move their, change their plan for government employees. I think they went more to just a st- standard 401k kind mm-hmm. of plan. But you have the ability, if you've not been in Social Security, your your county or municipality can still, or state can still opt out and go into a private plan. Okay. But so the significance of these three counties in Texas that have been doing this for 40 years, uh, is not so much that it's an option that's available to everybody, but it is a demonstration of the fact that this isn't rocket science, right? It can work. You can, you can do, or we know how to do this. I mean, investment managers and insurance companies, they know how to do this. They know how to give you a guaranteed rate of return over time. That is at least you know, reflective of what's going on in the market. Mm -hmm. And it turns out to be a much, much better deal than what social security gives people. And to, to sort of double emphasize a point that you mentioned, 
it's your money. Right. It's you, real money. If you so die, if you at, die age, at age 62, your 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 family gets that money. Your your family gets the money or it goes to your estate and somehow. So, yeah. yes, that is your money. It doesn't just disappear in a whiff of government smoke. So it's not rocket science to suggest that there is a better way to do this than the way Social Security works right now. Another of those solutions is, again, something you and I have worked on a lot in our careers, and that's this idea of Social Security personal retirement accounts. And, you know, th these proposals have, have generally been around this kind of idea that uh, we have to keep people paying into the Social Security system just to fund current, current and near future retirees. But if people could start taking, say, of that 14%, if people could start taking, like, say, four percentage points of that money, instead of it disappearing into the black hole of Social Security, that that would actually go into investment vehicles, mutual funds and things like that. That again, over time, over the course of a working life, you would end up with enough money saved up that you would be able to outperform what Social Security has promised to you, but can't deliver, right? So just, just as an example, I mean, there's lots of different ways to do these calculations, but one simple calculation is if, if you took a worker who earns the median income, the median income, and the median income, I think last year was like $78,000 or something like maybe 78,500, something like that. So if they are, if they are a median income worker and if they remain a median income worker over the course of their career and you simply took four percentage points of their earnings and put it into a investment a safe mutual fund that say averaged six and a half percent which is a completely conservative assumption for a 46 45 year working life uh, that worker would end up with something just under nine hundred thousand dollars in their investment account. And that account can provide a benefit for you that is more than double what Social Security promises you right now under that same scenario. And so, so you're still paying most of your payroll taxes into the system. You're only diverting four percentage points, and you can, you can do both. You can continue to contribute to the Social Security system for the benefit of the system, but then you can also literally self-fund your own retirement just by putting four percentage points of your earnings into a safe market exposed account. And then once you did this for a while, if you, once you were able to pay off the social security obligation, cause it's got a big obligation, mm -hmm. you might move completely over to letting people keep the whole amount. Right. But if you establish this for a while and it works well, you've sort of established the pattern out there. That's exactly right. Now, you know, one of the immediate pushbacks we get whenever we start trying to talk about personal retirement accounts, is this idea, I mean, there are several, but one of them is that we can't let you do that because we have to continue to fund the existing system because it's running out of money. What you're proposing is taking a little bit more money out of a system that's already running out of money. You know, as if somehow the status quo is sustainable. You know what I mean? It's like, well, how can you do that and also keep the current system going? The current system isn't going now. I mean, we talked earlier in the podcast about the fact that it's going to run out of money. And the system is not going to be able to keep its, the promises that it's making right now. So if the Social Security system, if the federal government knows it cannot keep the promises that it's making to future retirees, it seems to me that the least they could do is start letting them try to self-fund their own retirement with a measly four percentage points 
out of all of the money that's going into the Social Security system. And another criticism, of course, and this is something Al Gore used to say as well, we just have people out there day trading with their retirement account. Well, this, was, no. this is the risky scheme. This is the risky yeah. scheme right. thing. And so, no, all the proposals that we've been talking about would be either you go through a financial institution mm-hmm. uh, that's accredited, or you might have two or three or four or five different funds that invest in the Dow Jones, mm-hmm. uh, in S&P 500, in the NASDAQ or something like that. Widespread investments, so you're not, you're not taking it, it's not Weeble right. and me going and, and doing a lot of money in one little place or, or here or trying to do buy options with it or so forth. Mm-hmm. It's essentially going into account that is broadly invested into the economy and that, and you don't get to, uh, you may have a few options there, but you don't get to go day trading. Yeah. There, I mean, there's, I think there's three answers to the risky scheme argument, right? One is of course there would have to be rules. There would have to be clearly defined lanes and investment vehicles that you could use for this. So one, there would have to be rules. Number two, as we pointed out earlier, this is not rocket science. I mean, over the long term, we know how to do this. We know how to do this safely. We know how to, we know how to grow money and protect it and do it safely. And then the third argument, I think, is that the plans that you and I have tried to sell and the plans you and I have been proponents of have all included sort of a government guaranteed backstop. So Mm -hmm. like if you happen to be that very unfortunate individual who, you know, good news, today's the day I retire and today's the day the market drops by 40%, right? And so you've been paying into this personal retirement account for 45 years and now all of a sudden it's worth 40% less than it was. Um, that if you did not have enough money in your account to fund a retirement, the Social Security would still kick in for you and sort of top it up. Right. What you'd expect there is the actuaries would say, given an age, we'll pick an age 65 Mm -hmm. at this retirement age, we would expect you to need X number of dollars or something like that. So they would come and essentially put that in your account. Right. And then you would have that to to draw on. So they would top up your account yeah. to a certain minimum level. So it might be that the Social Security Trust Fund still had to keep paying some benefits. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we're talking about cutting the amount of money. That, if everyone had this option, then the Social Security's liability might only be 10% of what it is today. I mean, you could do away with maybe 90% of the Social Security system's obligations if 90% of the population were able to self-fund their own retirement through personal retirement accounts. And again, if, if you happen to be that unfortunate person who, you know, according to social security schedule, you should be getting $3,500 a month, but the amount you saved up will only give you a $2,000 benefit. And social security would, would still top you up and come up with that extra 1500 bucks. But you know, social security having to pay you 1500 bucks a month is better than social security having to pay you 3,500 bucks a month that it doesn't have. Mm-hmm. So there are ways to address this risky scheme argument. It's really just sort of like a false argument, uh, but it has been a very potent argument in pushing back. Anytime, anytime free market folks have tried to propose what we've been describing here, that's always the pushback is the risky scheme thing. And that's the great value of the illustration of these three counties in Texas is that they prove it can be done and it's not rocket science. And again, to me, the clincher on this risky scheme argument is what's riskier than what we're doing right now. You know, it seems to me that the status quo is the risky scheme. The status quo is making all these promises to retirees that that the government cannot meet, cannot live up to those promises. It strikes me that that's the risky scheme, not allowing people to divert some tiny little amount of their own earnings into their own account that they own and control. And just given the, the, the 
things that are going on now, whether or not raising the debt limit and all those things, even though you say you might say, well, you know, Congress wouldn't let that look at what they're doing with the the, the haggling they're having over the debt limit and other things yep. in the country. Your Social Security would become part of that problem if we if we absolutely. get there. Absolutely. And that is where we're headed. And that's what I mean when I say that the status quo is the, is probably the riskiest scheme of all, what we're doing right now. So the point of this podcast today is to explain that the problem Social Security faces and the problem Social Security recipients face is immense and it is immediate. It is, you're, if you're listening to this podcast, you are probably going to live to see what we've been describing. And that it is not rocket science to come up with a better solution. It is not rocket science to try to fix it. But with every year that Congress lets go by without doing anything about it, the problem becomes harder and harder to fix. Now, we say this at the end of every Policy Basics podcast, but it's especially true today. If you want to know more about Social Security personal retirement accounts, you can find an enormous amount of information at our website at IPI.org. You can find not just one, but more than one pieces that Dr. Matthews has written on these three counties in South Texas. So if you want to learn more about that, uh, we are facing an entitlements cliff. And in fact, that's part of the title of a book that Dr. Beryl Matthews published with the Institute for Policy Innovation last year, along with Mark Litto, called On the Edge, America Faces the Entitlements Cliff. And in this book, Dr. Matthews and Mr. Litto talk about not just the social security problem, but the problems faced by Medicare and by health insurance. And they describe market friendly solutions for all of these problems. And you can find out how to get that book at our website at IPI.org as well. Well, thank you so much for joining us for today's IPI policy basics episode. If you enjoyed this podcast, we would appreciate a positive review on iTunes or Spotify or on your favorite podcast platform. And you could help make these podcasts possible by becoming a member of IPI's Giving Society. Thank you so much for joining us, and we will see you next time.